0: i want to speak to you for just a few minutes in the same line that we've been speaking for a few weeks. Specifically, we're talking to the young men, the young fellows even, about what the Lord says on how to conduct themselves, not just in terms of well, finding a spouse one day, but just how to be. That's what the Word of God teaches us, just how to be, whether it's men, women, boys, girls, as we see from the message we've already heard, if the answers for social injustice are, are in the Word of God, surely the answers for how I should conduct myself are in there. And if you're like me and you the more you look, the more you see, the smaller you feel, well, then it's having a good effect on you. If you're looking at the Word of God and say, yeah, I do that, yeah, that's me, uh-huh, boy, I got that down, then it's it, you're probably not getting the point. <laughs> 'Cause the word of God is like a mirror that it doesn't show us our goodness at all. It shows us Christ's goodness as reflected in our lives. And we'll never re- we'll never we'll always come short of that. But it shouldn't cause us to despair, it should cause us to be encouraged. And as we consider a prince this morning in the book of Ruth, the title of the message is A Prince or a Pauper. Last week we talked to you about a knight or a knave. We use the contrast between David, who was the knight of God, and Nabal, who was a knave, just a fool. Uh, And and you couldn't even speak to him. He was such a fool. This week we want to use the contrast between a prince of Israel, who is Boaz, and one I have... we don't read a whole lot about him, but I, I refer to him as a pauper or a penny pincher, the next of kin, who was one place in front of Boaz to redeem the property of Naomi and marry Ruth. So Boaz was the prince. The next of kin is what I refer to as the pauper. Uh, you might say on one hand you've got a provider and on the other hand you've got a penny pincher <laughs> because that's what it basically came down to on whether or not the next of kin was going to do the, um, perform the duties of a near kinsman. He just couldn't afford it. He just couldn't afford it. So with, let's read. You know, the, you know the account of Ruth, what, what happens in the first chapter where Ruth returns with Naomi, who, whose husband had died, whose sons had died, and they come to Bethlehem in the time of barley harvest. And we want to see in the example, last week we kind of focused on the negative, on the Nabal, on the nave, which is where that word comes from, by the way. Remember, the word nave, it is believed, comes from the word Nabal. And so we focused kind of on the negative, but I'm going to focus more on the positive this week, on the provider, uh, Boaz. So we read where at the end of chapter 1 that Naomi returned, verse 22, <clears throat> and Ruth the Moabite, is her daughter-in-law with her, returned out of the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem. And I love the way the Word of God foreshadows things for us. It says, in the beginning of barley harvest. You remember Naomi left 20, 25 years before in the time of famine. They get, she, she and her husband and her boys, her husband primarily, they gave up. On thinking they could be provided for in Israel, so they left in a time of famine. They return at the beginning of barley harvest. Obviously, God has blessed, and it's not like it's not like Bethlehem was a ghost town. There were still people living there. There were still people making their way, maybe eking out a living, but nonetheless, they were still there. So they return in the beginning of barley harvest. And I, I I don't have the ability, the the verbal ability to convey to you the type of of scenario that's going on here where we just we can't really understand it because these women Naomi and Ruth were facing starvation you know we we get hungry and we go get something to eat we do not understand the emotional situation that is going on here the physical situation praise God that we don't in in one sense but maybe we can appreciate the the level of intensity of what's going on here with these women. They don't have a provider. They don't have anyone taking care of them. And these are not women that just are sitting back and, and, you know, well, if somebody would just come along and take care. These are brilliant, intelligent, incredible women. The culture that they were in was such that they were in a bad spot because it wasn't like they could go out and get a job as as this profession or that profession. This was an agricultural society. There weren't these jobs around, you know, where you could well I'll just, you know, go and make eight or ten dollars an hour at the local grocery store and, and we can eke out a living. That didn't exist. There were no grocery stores in the way that we think about it. So these women were in a bad situation. And then some of you may be thinking, well then how in the world can we identify and learn from something so old? You do you realize how old this this account is. I mean, it's thousands of years old. And yet it has the the things we learn from this and the things we glean from this have a relevance today. (laughs) But we need to see the situation that these women were in to appreciate Boaz and the provider that he was. So here they are. They don't know where they're in. They don't have any income. All they have is what they brought with them on this two or three hundred or a or hundred and fifty mile journey from Moab, which was would have taken weeks and months. They don't have anything. And the old home place is broken down. The shutters are hanging off the window if they're even there. The place is just a wreck that she's going back to where her husband's land was. And so they don't have anybody to plant crops. Notice it says it's the end of barley harvest. There's no time for them to plant and have something come in so that they can have to be sus- they can be sustained through the winter. You see that not only is this a great time barley harvest, it's also reminding them of just what a bad situation they're in. And so they don't just sit back these brilliant godly women don't just sit back and and just do nothing. No, they do what they can do. And Ruth, who is a, a vibrant and younger and stronger, obviously, than her mother-in-law, she goes out to try to see if she can beg for food. <laughs> Aren't we blessed? You, you sisters, you think about the fact that, that you don't have a situation where you would have to go out and beg for food for your children. You, you can't, I can't fathom that. I can't imagine that. And it's hard for you to imagine that too. When you've got closets and cupboards at home, you know, with food in there. You go to my mom's house. You know, I've joked and said there's a path from when you walk in the door, like a like a a, like a cow path. You know, constantly just making a. That's probably a bad analogy, and in, in a cow path. <laughs> I'm from the farm, and so I grew up walking on cow paths, and nothing intended about that, but. There's like a path, you know, from the house, from the front door, as you come in the carport door to the cupboard, you know. And I just like a mindless drone, just walk in there and, hey, how you doing? And just go and just look and see what's in there. I may not even get anything. But what if you win and there's nothing? Because all of it's gone. There's no, there's no money to bring it in. There's no way to plant crops to do it. We just can't fathom that. And Ruth goes out and she, she is going out to beg this beautiful, vibrant, incredible young woman who does not look at all like the other Israelite women. She goes, she said, I'll go out. I'll be industrious. I'll go out and I'll beg. That's what gleaning was. It was in the Levitical law, and it was in the Mosaic law, that you would allow the poor of the land to come and and gather the leftover grain. If you dropped a piece of corn as you were pulling the corn off of the stalk, or if you were... It had a sickle and you were cutting down the wheat and you missed some as you gathered it up to tie it together. If you, you could not pick it up, it was illegal to pick it up. It had to stay there. Maybe you dropped a big chunk of it. You said, well, I can't pick that up. God's law says that's to be left for the poor of the land. By the way, this is what you talk about social issues. You know, God did not mince words. God understood there was going to be the poor of the land. He made provision for them. And it was called workfare, not welfare. It wasn't just the government sending out a check to somebody just to sustain them. It was workfare, where you would go out and you would gather. If you wanted to eat, you had to gather and glean from the fields. Ruth and Naomi want to eat, and they're not on welfare. So they go out, she goes out, and she begins to gather grain. And I want you to notice how Boaz provides. And listen, this is very important, because you remember when we talked about a young woman's who's looking for a spouse. You know how the examples of the women that we looked at, they were not going out with the intention, I'm going to find me a husband. <laughs> you know, I mean, that there, there may be a place for that. You know, I, I, you know, it doesn't mean that that's wrong. Say, I, I really want to find me a husband. There's nothing wrong with that. I grew up from old enough to think, you know, I really want to find a wife one day. <laughs> Even as, as a boy, I, I'd look at my mom and my dad, and I think, you know, this is a good thing. I'd really like to find a wife one day. <laughs> And so it's okay to think that way. But remember the examples of the women that we looked at. They were not going out to just find a a spouse. And and I want you to notice that this is not a romantically inspired thing right here. Now, it it becomes that, okay? But it's not a romantically inspired thing. He's going out and just doing what he does because of who he is and who he's been trained to be. You see, you you remember who Boaz's mother was, don't you? Some of you not, yeah. Some of you going, huh? Boaz's mother was Rahab. Rahab, the harlot. He said, Well, there's just no way that this this kid could have come up with a mother like that and and been worth anything. I beg to differ. Because that mother had been touched by the grace of God. And when God's grace intervenes or intercedes, then you better watch out. (laughs) Good things are going to happen. So not only did Boaz come up in the house of Salmon and Rahab, you know, he had a different mother. She was not like the other Israelites. And it's very ironic that here Boaz encounters a different woman. A different woman. And so I want you to notice that how he provides in the short term. We, there's three elements of what we want to look at, which we are not going to get to today, so relax. We're not going to go to 1230. Maybe it's 1229. But... but Just relax. We're just going to talk about how Boaz provided. And another day maybe we'll talk about how he protected and also how he preserved for the short term and for the future. Okay? Those are elements of what it means to be a godly man. You want to find a spouse one day, young men, young fellas? These are elements that you must have for a, a happy and joyful life. You must have these elements. Or there's going to be issues. You say, well, Brother Tim, I'll never be perfect. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to listen to the Word of God and incorporate these things into your life. You don't have to be perfect. I'm living proof of that. So Boaz, we find he's not even seeking a romance. He's not even seeking a romantic involvement with this woman, Ruth. But he does provide because that's what men do. That's what God calls men to do is to provide. You think about how that is a statement that would probably get me in trouble in many circumstances today. Well, I don't want a man providing for me. I can provide for myself. I I understand there's doesn't mean that a woman can't make provision and provide it doesn't mean that. But it just means that God has called men to provide. In many different uh, it doesn't just mean money. It doesn't just mean a house and cars. It doesn't just mean that. It means not only those type of things, but also emotional support. And such so in the short term Boaz comes out and he finds Ruth this strange looking different looking woman who is in his field she just happens to come to his field <laughs> and here he encounters her and I want you to notice it says in verse four Boaz came from Bethlehem and under the said unto the reapers uh, listen to this man now the Lord be with you that's he is saying Jehovah be with you The first thing that's out of his mouth... This is a lesson for bosses. (laughs) This is a lesson for fathers. This is a lesson for friends. (laughs) You know, the first thing out of his mouth was a blessing from the Lord. I know it would be really strange to my staff at at the office if I walked in. The first thing I said, I always say, greet them. Hey, how are y'all doing? Have a good weekend. It'd probably be strange if I walked in and said, Jehovah be with you. They'd be like, oh boy, he must have had a really good Sunday service yesterday or something. <laughs> but th- this is that type of man. I want to be that type of man. Do you? I want to be that type of man. Where it wouldn't be weird for me to come up and say, may God bless you this day. He's 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 giving them a blessing of prosperity. He's, he's These are his workers. He's not saying... What are you doing? Or why haven't you finished this? Or what, why didn't you do this right? Or, and he's not jumping on them. He's saying, may God bless you in your endeavors. Because guess what? If God blesses them in their endeavors, who's that going to benefit? <laughs> it's going to be, benefit Boaz. You see that? It's going to be a blessing to him. He says, may God bless you. And they answered him and they said, Jehovah bless thee. May may God bless you back, Boaz. And Boaz says to his servants in verse 5, he says, whose damsel is this? Who is this young woman that's out here? She stood out by the way she looked. And I believe she also stood out by the way she was working hard, too. He said, whose damsel is this? this? Remember, this is not a romantically motivated thing. Whose damsel is this? And the servant goes on and says, well, this is Ruth, you know, that came back. This is the Moabitess woman that came back with Naomi. And Boaz has already heard about this woman. And so he, he, he addresses her in verse 8. And he, he goes up to her. First, she was a damsel. She was That might be the way, this is probably old verbiage, but, you know, you know she was just another chick. You know, she was just another girl. She was just another dame. She goes from this, what damsel comes from, right? Dame. And then all of a sudden, she's a daughter. You see how this man, this is not a romantically motivated move that he's making here. He's not putting the move on her. He is addressing her in a respectful and godly way. And young sisters, you listen to me. If a young man cannot address you in a respectful way, then shame on him, number one. And number two, it is the indication that he is not for you. He addresses her in a respectful way. He says, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Listen to me, my daughter. Listen to me, he says. Don't go to another field. Don't go from my field. Stay here with the the girls that are working to glean in my field. And let your eyes be on the field that they reap, and go thou after them. I have charged the young men that they shall not touch thee. There was there was some jockeying for position that went on among the gleaners. You know, it's kind of I've said this before, it's kind of funny, you know, there was there were levels of competition even among these poor people who were begging and they would sometimes possibly get in scuffles or fights over who was getting more than another. It's it's just human nature. And sometimes the reapers, sometimes the working men had to intervene. Or maybe the people were getting too close to what they were doing with their sickles and cutting down the grain and, and gathering the corn. And they'd have to say, get back. They'd have to forcefully push them back. You know, you're not allowed by law to come any closer. <laughs> and Boaz has charged his workforce, do not touch Ruth. That's amazing, isn't it? What a provision. What a provision. He provided for her in the short term. He said, remain here. Remain here among my workers. And I want you to notice as we bring our thoughts to a close this morning, and we'll pick this up at a later time. I hope I've piqued your interest. You know, stay tuned for the next episode. Because if you're a young man, seeking to be married one day, this ought to pique your interest. You ought not to go to sleep on this one. And if you're a a man of any age like me, who's been married for going on 25 years, it still piques my interest because I see how I need to improve and how I need to get better and where I fail. I don't ever sit there and go, yeah, I'm doing that right. (laughs) I'm always thinking I'm behind the eight ball. I've got to get better. And notice what Ruth says in verse 13 as we close. You want to know the effect that this type of attitude has on a young woman. Remember the stress that she's under? Husbands, brothers, sibling brothers, future spouse, men who are going to be future spouses. You don't know the stress that your mother or your sister or your friend is under. You don't know because you're not God. But if you will conduct yourself in a way that we see here as exemplified by Boaz, if you will just conduct yourself and with this type of character, it will be a relief to her. Concrete example. Concrete example right here. I haven't been at home all day dealing with school and dealing with discipline and dealing with rooms and cleaning up the room and dealing with 10,000 loads of clothes to wash. <laughs> You're welcome, Sister Tracy. <laughs> I know it. I know it. I'm not there. I thank God I'm not there in many ways. But <laughs> but when I walk in the door, I do, unless I've been talking to her throughout the day, which I do from time to time, unless I'm in court or got things, I don't know exactly what's been going on at home. Is that fair? I haven't been there to watch. I don't have a camera. But there was one time I did set up a camera in the, uh, in the school room. Things went really smooth for about a week. till I think somebody cut the line on the camera. One of the kids did. But anyway, something happened to the camera. I don't know what's been going on at home. I don't know what stress she's been under. I don't know what she's been dealing with. I don't know. You say, we may say, well, she doesn't know what I've been going through. Big deal. Get over it. I'm supposed to be the provider. I'm supposed to be providing emotional support. I'm supposed to be providing so things and doing things so that she'll have the reaction that Ruth has in verse 13 whenever she says, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. That word comfort, it... it is the Hebrew word that means a sigh of relief. Can we close with that thought this morning, men, young men, fellas, little fellas? You should make it your life's goal. Not just in terms of the woman that you're looking to marry or the girl that you think is going to be yours one day, but you should make it your life's goal. No matter who you're dealing with, whether they deserve it or not, whether you know them that well or not, or whether you wish you didn't know them, <laughs> your life's goal to be a prince a Boaz is to make it your intention to bring a sigh of relief to that young lady or that woman or that wife of 25 years or whoever she may bring be. Bring a sigh of relief. Whew! <laughs> That's the goal. You say, well, that's a high standard. It may be, but it's a godly standard. It brings fruit. It It is something that honors your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to close our thoughts there this morning, but I think that's a good one to close on for you young men to think for the rest of the week, every time I encounter a young woman, an older woman, my mother, my sister, whatever it may be, let my goal be. My girlfriend... My future wife, uh, just my future friend, my future church member. I'm going to leave that person, that young woman, that woman, whatever age she may be, I'm going to leave her with a sigh of relief. That was a good encounter. That was good. Can we make that our goal? I'm going to try to make it mine. Again and again, if I have to, if I fail in it a thousand times, I'm going to try to keep making it my goal. I love every one of you. I hope and pray that what we've talked about here this morning has been profitable. I hope that what we talk about in the future regarding these things will be profitable, most importantly, for the glory of God. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism, there's no better day than today. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing some song. Brother Jim, you have one.